Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. All right, well, welcome back to part two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We are talking with Dr. Ignacio Ciampiti. Um, Thank you for uh, joining us. Um, Great session on the science, and now we're going to talk about um, management. So let's start with a question that I'm sure is simple to respond. Um, How much nitrogen should I put down? (laughs) Very simple. (laughs) Very simple. Right. And and the best the best answer for agronomists is depends. The best answer is it, it depends on yeah, it depends on the environment, the soil type, uh, the yield target. Um, and then believe it or not, one of the big factors that we found to be critical, and I mentioned this before, to to kind of get a better understanding is how much is the contribution of nitrogen coming from the soil. We have environments where you have um I would say a high amount of nitrogen coming from soil when you are in sandy soils. Uh, and we have in some environments where you have a, a more clay soil conditions where the amount of nitrogen that is coming is, is good, but the problem is that we don't know much on the timing. So, and then each growing season, depending on the weather conditions, temperature and moisture, it could be quite different. And that is one of the main issues of how we can estimate whether this optimal end rate. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good, that's a good question, Sean. You know, we have so many different factors and, and, uh, different things can impact nitrogen availability, nit- you know, nitrogen use efficiency. So, so, um, Ignacio, when you're looking at, you know, placing a, a nitrogen plan on individual fields with growers, what, what would you be looking at? So say you have all, all of that information in front of you from a soil test, you know, so we know PK levels, all the, all the micros and macros, but also soil texture, CEC, organic matter. Yeah. What are you, say you have all that information in front of you. What are you looking at? What's, what's important to you when you're looking at that nitrogen, thinking about that nitrogen plan? I would say in many situations, <clears throat> we are looking at, if you think about the response of a plant to nitrogen, we're looking at the factors connected to how much nitrogen is available in the soil every season. So that's why having a, a soil test or having some idea of the amount of nitrogen available in the soil is relevant. The soil texture and the organic matter are key factors to understand what is the overall potential for that soil to release nitrogen and the quantity. In most of the situations when you have less, cl- less clay and sealed, in those environments, that organic matter is less protected, which means that you will have that release of nitrogen much faster. In environments that you have more clay and silt, that organic matter is more protected, so that, that nitrogen will come quite slow. And maybe in some situations, I mean, having that nitrogen coming slow is good in the, in the sense of, I mean, is more effectively used by the plant. So some of these are the factors, and, and then we also need to understand that we need to look at historical data. So we also need to look at historical data from those fields and also trying to get an idea of what is the overall productivity in the last five to 10 years. I think that one of the components that for, at least for me is still critical 
is really to understand what is the overall yield potential or productivity of those yield zones or yield environments in the field. Hmm. I've got a, I, the answer is awesome. And I've got a customer that comes to mind that ranks fields A, B, and C mm -hmm. based on yield. And so I was thinking a lot of us just do one pass and one rate, right? And I've got a grower that ranks his fields A, B, and C. And then his fertility plan is based on historical averages out of those fields. So um, more or less, you know, to, to try and match that up, which I think is interesting. Um, there's a bunch of different um, ways to apply nitrogen. Talk a little bit about the risk of doing a single pass fall anhydrous type, uh, type program. I mean, and I think that after we discuss in the last, in the first part of the, of the session, I mean, you clearly can see what are the risks. Uh, applying everything at one time, cost-effective, yes. Uh -huh. uh, nitrogen unit less expensive, yes. Uh, taking that practice out of your way, yes. <laughs> the, challenges, the challenges are, are you doing the best job possible? Probably not. Because how many of us, with, with a good level of confidence, can we say that we can predict the weather that is going to happen in July when we are probably planting in mid-April? Yeah. 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 And everything that defines... Difference. Well, it sounds real simple when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And I always make the joke I, I always make the joke to many farmers. I say, if, I, if I'm able to do that, I will not be at the university. Exactly, yeah. I will yeah. be... <laughs> He'd be, be, be on a beach somewhere predicting weather. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, the day that we can become that good on doing that, the day that we can get a much better handle on what is a potential type of growing conditions. Because we did a study, when we look at all these 1,000 different fertilizer trials, you know, we look at several trials conducted by many universities for the last 20, 30 years. And guess what? When we look at what are the best factors predicting um, the optimal nitrogen for corn, most of the critical factors that they were coming in the analysis were everything connected to how well the plant grows around flowering. Uh -huh. So radiation, temperature, precipitation. <laughs> so everything connected to if the plant is growing under optimal conditions within that month, then you will start seeing that your ability to basically uh, predict and just to uh, have higher uptake is, is, is probably more consistent. When those factors start changing and you go to extremes, as we see this year with extreme temperature or extreme precipitation, everything becomes super unpredictable. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a perfect segue into this next question. You know, Ignacio, we're coming off, uh, you know, you look, you look at last year, the price of nitrogen per ton, right? It, it got extremely high. We're also in a, in, a, in a situation where I feel like, you know, we have data coming out of, of Iowa State where, you know, we're looking at our current hybrid N uptake and we're getting, a, you know, the N uptake curve traditionally starts around that V8, give or take, right? Mm -hmm. but, but we're seeing yep. that nitrogen uptake curve. We're seeing more nitrogen getting up, up you know, taken up later in the, the reproductive stages, right? So we're, we're kind of in a situation where we have higher yield potential. We have the need for more nitrogen later in the growing season in those reproductive stages than what we've traditionally seen historically. So you know, what What could a grower do if they're wanting to maximize either their ROI on nitrogen or something I love talking about, what, what can they do to increase their end use efficiency in corn? 
Uh, that's an excellent question. And, and then there are a couple of different approaches based on the level of intensity or, or care management that you want to, to implement. If you want to go to a perfect ideal world, um, uh, you hope for one, one situation where farmers will, will move more to this idea of splitting nitrogen and having some, maybe 50% or less at planting, then some at B6, and then some applied at B14 or B12. And why I'm saying this is because when you are getting closer to those, that kind of a late in the vegetative stages, uh, you are getting closer to get into this yield for a uh, weather forecast that is only a two or three week, right? When you are talking about a two or three months weather forecast, <laughs> the level of unpredictability is huge. When we are talking about weather conditions in the next two weeks, we are starting to get closer to to get a much better idea to understand, I will apply nitrogen if I know that I might get a rain of potentially one inch in the next two or three weeks. Yep. Because if I know that I'm going to be dry and I'm going to be below normal, which my normal is something that the farmers should know, right? What is my normal during the second week of June, uh, July for this, my farm, my county, in, for example, in Iowa? So you need to look at that historical weather and see what are the probabilities in the last 50 years, if you say something, that you got one inch of rain on on that week of July, right? <laughs> Slim. Uh, <laughs> exactly, right? But but at least you will, you will start saying, okay, maybe the first week are really slim. Maybe the second week, then they are increasing. Maybe the third week, yeah. your chances are increasing. So, and then you start saying, should I plant all my corn early, as early as possible, or should I look at approaches maybe to diversify a little? And should I plant first my best ground, uh, and then maybe some of the rest of the ground, should I hold it a little bit and then just to diversify so my my flowering times don't match all the time with, if I get an stress in that week, I will get an stress everywhere. And if I get an stress everywhere, I lose everything. And, you, I, and we can lose, and you can lose close to 50% of your yields if you have a really bad two, three, or four weeks of no rain around flowering and yeah. high temperatures. Yeah. It's as simple as that week, Con. It's, it's nothing uh, rocket science. It's just that if we don't get good weather conditions on those, I would say, four-week window uh, with flowering in the middle, um, we lose the yield. That's why in an ideal world, the approach of getting closer, as close as possible, as to apply your nitrogen, that, that is the best. But in many situations, if you talk to many farmers, I also kind of uh, get, I try to get myself into their shoes. And, and I say, well, at least if you can use some slow release. Yeah, And absolutely. if you apply everything early season, or if you want to apply at B6, try to apply something that basically, at least we try to use some slow release. The problem is still is that your prediction for the end rate is a gamble because you might say I need 150, and as we discussed before, we might finish that. Well, we only need 100. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we we for, it's probably a compromise situation because we try to increase efficiency of using that nitrogen, but at the end of the day, we know that it's really hard to make very robust predictions on the rates. It, <laughs> it's such a difficult conversation. So you think about nitrogen use efficiency <laughs> and in the model that you just laid out where we're trying to kind of line up applications with the nitrogen 
um, use curve. Kind of untig, yeah, yeah. Right, then, then, you know, subsequently, theoretically, you'd apply less nitrogen because it's more appropriately timed and, and you know, less um, inefficiency with the nitrogen. Um, but then a lot of times the conversation seems like the natural way that it goes is, yeah, but what if my corn blows over? What if it rains too hard and I can't get through the field with the side dress bar, right? And so it seems like there's always that tension around, um, I know I shouldn't front load everything, but I want enough front loaded yeah. that I'm, I'm, I don't run into a situation where I'm starving my field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we've got haggies that'll run side dress unless it's muddy, unless corn, you know, so it's <laughs> just all these challenges. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's just always complicated. It's um, your research, um, shows estimations that um, nitrogen uptake is typically less than 50% of applied nitrogen. Um, so, so what, how would you advise growers to be more efficient with their nitrogen? And, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, try and capture as much as possible so that we're investing that money wisely. Everything goes back to the timing. Uh, I mean, we can talk about sources and we can talk for hours about different sources, but at the end of the day, if you want to keep it simple, we know that if I apply nitrogen early season, the the, uh, the efficient and the, the efficiency of the plant to use that unit of nitrogen is lower than if I apply the same unit uh, later in the season. Yeah. And we have data, and that efficiency goes up as you are moving the same a pound of nitrogen from planting or before planting to be six to be ten to be twelve to be fourteen. That efficiency goes up. Yeah. And that's something that the growers need to know, no? That maybe my efficiency might go from 20% of nitrogen use early in the season, maybe 30% when you move closer when the roots are already established. And we have we are seeing some efficiencies quite high when you get closer to the maximum absorption when the plant is into this kind of a rapid phase line between usually be 10 and I mean flowering, maybe even a week after flowering. So it's something that we need to also understand that if we really want to think at some point to start cutting back on end rates and trying to decrease the fertilization, the best way to start doing that is just to find ways of increasing that synchrony and to make yeah. sure that we put that nitrogen as close as the moment that the plant need, really need it. Yeah, I, I love that answer. That that matches up with my favorite professor of all time was my, my physiology professor, Dr. Mark Westgate at Iowa State. And, yes. and one of his yes. famous awesome. lines that stuck in my head, he would always, t we, you know, he, he did a lot of research on dry matter accumulation in corn. And so, I mean, he wrote yes. the book on it and he would always tell me, he would say when you were talking about a pound of nitrogen in the fall is not the same as a pound of nitrogen, you know, l later in those vegetative stages when that nitrogen uptake curve is full throttle, right? So, yeah, that, it, that's... Is it fair? Is it fair to say, um, if if we're capturing, I'm making up a number, twenty five percent of our fall nitrogen yeah. is getting captured by a plant. So if I want to grow a, a two hundred bushel crop and I need two hundred pounds of nitrogen, is it fair to say if my efficiency is twice with an in season application, then could I cut? my total applied nitrogen in half. I mean, is it, is it pound for pound like that? If, if I, I know that's, I know it's, it's so much more complex than that, but that's no, no, what we're it, trying it, to get at, right? It's, it's more complex, but I think that when we talk to growers, I think that we need to start putting in, putting a simple terminology, exactly the way that you try to, to mention. It's like, if you go too early, that efficiency is quite low. 
And as you move in, into trying to improve your nitrogen management and you get in, into uh, in-season management, you can start thinking about options on cutting back. Yeah. I mean, more because if you were adding or putting, I mean, high nitrogen rates, early planting, just to maximize your uh, yield or high yielding expectations, as you start getting into the in-season, you don't only have a chance to cut because you are more efficient. You have a chance to cut because you might see that your weather conditions are not good. Yeah. Because that is something that you are looking and you have that kind of a two or three weeks looking at your forecast and saying, no, not do. I mean, someone will need to tell you, don't do it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and you great. will say that you will be saving that pass. Yeah. You will be saving the pass of application. You will be saving money because you will be applying a little bit less and you will be saving that basically yield reduction potentially or penalty by adding too much nitrogen when the plant really needed it really need it. I mean, and we will start seeing more of these weather conditions where we start seeing this kind of a week or two week of erratic episodes of high extreme temperatures and drought. And we need to become a little bit better on how to manage inputs and resources. And I think yeah. that that's, that's one of the main concepts on the nitrogen side. I love, I mean, you don't hear a lot of people talk about kind of that, that the nitrogen cost of over-application, right? I mean, it, that that rarely gets discussed. It seems like it seems like my entire life in agriculture, the attitude's been, well, you better not be short. And that, I mean, no, I think that's and, I, and I'm true, always, but it's... I, I'm always a good guy on saying, don't go short because I know all the problems of going short. And corn will tell you immediately if you're short. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's something nice about corn. Yeah. Yeah. That's something nice about corn that corn will tell you immediately if you're short. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, um, the the you've done a lot of research on um, nitrogen nitrogen application algorithms. Um, what's so yeah. challenging about creating that perfect algorithm for nitrogen? Oh, I mean, it's really quite challenging to be honest. Because um, I feel that many people, and still we we start seeing the same. Many people wants to have the perfect number of sites. I mean, millions of points. <laughs> yeah. uh, it looks at it looks at the data is like they are talking about. Uh, revamping, or they're talking about these these new terms, modernizing, no, uh, natural fertility, and I'm like, it's all good, <laughs> it's all excellent. We need more data. As a researcher, I need to say always yes. But when I go back to to the farmers, I say, be careful because we have data. I think that what we need to do is also to understand what are the factors that they really drive the uncertainty or the error of the on the estimations. Yeah. We cannot become so perfect that we will be able to tell to each farmer what is the optimal rate per field. Yeah. But we need to tell to the farmers to understand how to predict the nitrogen rates and be better on predicting and be better on understanding what factors are modifying our predictions. Yeah. Is the temperature? Is the rain? What factors are the best, I mean, that modifying our prediction? And I can, at one I point that I like, that, I can no. imagine that's hard because you start looking at all the stuff that you can probably somewhat know going into a a, a, a growing season, but all the the variables that you can't predict, like mother the, the impact. You know, you talked about solar radiation earlier, right? You have no clue, and that has a huge impact. No clue. Yeah. No clue. But I always say this. I say we have 50 years or more in many situations, I mean, of data of weather, climate, management in some places. What are we doing without all that information? So 
do we need to continue doing studies to see if, if, the, if the response is linear or curvilinear or quadratic plateau or quadratic plateau plateau? I'm just, <laughs> we're looking for perfect models. Or we're looking for the number. And it looks like it's a number behind something. And we are saying, no, we have, we are now doing another study and another study and another study. And each study costs us like uh, 50,000 or more. Each of the locations that you do any kind of a research studies, they are quite expensive. And then the question from my end is also, we kind of need to start rethinking how we, how we do science on nitrogen and how we communicate the science to, yeah. to the farmers. And, and honesty for me goes long ways. And then honesty means that we need to start discussing and talking to farmers that in many situations, it's never possible to really predict a number. It's just a number, but it's not just simple a number. That number has what we call this confidence interval, if you want to say in a way, or, or let's, let's say, let's call this a range. When the farmer is saying, my optimal is 90 pounds, I already know that he could apply 60 or 120, and most likely, depending on the year, he will be right. <laughs> Why? Because that is because because that is a overall uncertainty. We already discussed in the first part of the of this great, I mean, interview on the contribution of nitrogen from soil, on mm -hmm. the challenges of really know how much nitrogen is coming from soil. Yeah. So unless we improve that, unless we we get a really better numbers and research on knowing more closely how much nitrogen is coming from soil. It's going to be always a challenge to provide to farmers just a number. And we need to be honest and we need to tell, here is the best predictions. And here is something that you need to say, if I'm in a bad weather condition, your end rate is going to be low. If I'm in an excellent weather condition, my end rate is going to be high. And then what I like to talk to farmers in many situations is look at your last 30, 50 years weather environment. And then when you look at your last if you want 30 years weather environment, you can make a probability. How many years on the last 30 years you have very good years? And you can start saying, oh, that happens maybe in 60% of the times. And in 40% of the times you have bad years. And with that, you can start playing on saying, well, this is a year if my fertilizer cost, input cost is high, I might be able to reduce a little bit my rates. Yes. And if I see that, in fact, I'm also expecting more erratic and low rain conditions, perfect. And this is something that we need to communicate on, on trying to understand what is the risk that the farmers are taking and what is the overall a kind of a level of farmers to use that kind of a number and modify it to, to know that it's just a range, that it's never really a true number. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind when you're, you know, when I'm listening, you do have this discussion and I guess I'm, th I'm kind of thinking about my own worldview. I've, I think we're, a lot of people are guilty of thinking about nitrogen as this as this non-manageable input, right? Like we think about a number, we put the number out there, and then if things go poorly, we we don't really do anything about it, right? So if we have a super wet spring, it's kind of like, well, that's the cards we were dealt. But I was thinking we we <laughs> we adapt, we adapt so many other areas of agriculture. So we we spray our herbicides and our chemistry. And we respond to the weather. We we don't fungicides. Yeah, we thing. don't we yeah. don't spray certain yeah. herbicides if it's too hot. We don't spray if it's too cold. You know, fungicides a great example. I mean, and you know, 
we made significant adjustments in our timing of fungicide based on the weather conditions in front of us and and the complex that we were that we were dealing with. And so it's funny because when you talk about this, I I I feel all these rebuttals that I get from you know from growers. But I'm thinking in so many other areas of agriculture, we're already doing this. Yeah, you know, we, why is yeah. it so hard in nitrogen? Yeah, and and I mean, it, and it seems like you know the same tool that we use. To use our to do our our fungicide is the same tool that we could respond to in season nitrogen with. Um, it's it's yeah. literally an identical process. So I wonder if there's yeah. just um, a certain amount of ingrained like this is the way we've always done it. This is the tool we've always used, and mm-hmm. and by and large it 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 works really well. I mean, so um, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. sorry for the no, little bunny that, trail. Just that's, that's I, a good point. I mean, for for some reason there is, and maybe it has to do with the the workload or the 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 machinery involved, application timing, Mother Nature on top of. I mean, she can impact what you have that you've already put down. She can impact what you're going to put down, right? So that it, it's a it's a complicated process, but very similar way of thinking identical way of thinking to all of our other herbicides, fungicides. Yeah, 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 yeah. just yeah. yeah. Anyways. Very good. So, Ignacio, um, you know, as I was prepping for this, one of the, the lines in one of your papers really, really impacted me, just got me thinking about, you know, look, looking at the the yield of corn under zero nitrogen. And, and the, the, the specific line was, uh, it said, yield responsiveness to nitrogen fertilization depends on the yield under non-limited end supply, as well as on the inherent productivity under zero end fertilizer. So talk to me a little bit about that. Why, why is understanding the, the response under zero nitrogen so important? And everything goes back, I mean, excellent point. Everything goes back to mineralization. Because that that is exactly, unless we know exactly uh, how much nitrogen is coming from the soil. And the, I mean, one of the best ways to know this, I mean, for farmers that they really want to understand their fields and, and know about this, is to leave a small block and it doesn't need to be big, eh? just to leave a small, tiny block, enough that you can capture with the combine. And just to see how much yield is coming when you are not applying nothing, zero. Because that tells you exactly and gives you a nice proxy of how much nitrogen is coming from soil. And if you do that in, in different kind of a s- sections of the field, perfect. Because that will give you an, an idea that these sections are not the same. There is a low area a spot in the field that maybe only gives you 100 bushels and you know that probably is giving you 60, 80 pounds of nitrogen. And then there might be an, an upper section of the field that gives you 150 bushel. And that area is going to give you much more nitrogen in the soil. And knowing that, and then having then soil samples coming from those areas to understand, oh, how much organic matter, what is the soil texture? That is the best way to start getting to know your fields, getting to know how to manage the fields. Uh, a handful of times when we've recorded this podcast, I feel like my head's blown apart and that like, that feels like a light bulb. I mean, seriously, like that's, that's brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. We, we actually did this two or three years ago and I was blown away, um, by what the, what the soil was able to produce with no nitrogen. I mean, Mm -hmm. and literally I would have been off by more than a hundred (laughs) bushels if I would have guessed. And, and then what was interesting to me is starting to just understand, um, that correlation exactly like you're talking about to soil type and then, and then the weather impact. That's, that's cool stuff. That's really wild. That's yeah. That's amazing. Um, as, as yeah. we wrap up this this conversation, um, you know, we're starting to get in this uh, era where we, we're starting to see a, a lot of different nitrogen products come on the market. And, and I mean, as we 
progress in, in science and technology, we're going to need some of these products, right? Whether it's biological, foliar. So what, what's your experience and thoughts on some, some foliar end and also some of these biological end fixation products on corn? I mean, that's an excellent question. And, and, and I always tell that to these. I mean, in fact, when we, we, we have this conversation with many people, I always tell, uh, I always discuss with farmers to make sure they, they do the basics. And I say, if you want to manage nitrogen well, make sure that you have always uh, P, K, the basic fertility done well. And make sure that you are taking care of all the management. We never talk about, but I mean, if you think about the plant density, the row spacing. So make sure that the plant is working 100%. Everything is being taken care of. Then start thinking on your next, next step. What is next on, on my side? I'm saying that because... We have discussed with many farmers and they are always thinking about the, the biologicals and they try that and it doesn't work because they never are taking care first of other factors that they tend to be more co-limited. I mean, they, they will limit more yield. I mean, we have seen these situations where you have low P in the soil, low phosphorus in the soil. And unless you correct that, nitrogen efficiency is low because unless yeah. you correct other nutrient that is limiting growth, you will not be able to increase your efficiency. We could get pretty nerdy pretty quick when you start talking about the relationship of, you know, the 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 charge within a plant looking mm-hmm. at positive ammonium uptake and, and or negative nitrate mm-hmm. plus potassium, you know, positive charge. Yes. We can yes. get pretty nerdy quick with that relationship. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and 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 I think that and I think that the biologicals they are all coming with with to create a different concept because they are all coming with the goal of of seeing can we help the plant and the root growth or the plant growth. And at the end of the day, what we are trying to do with this is just, can we increase that growth? Can we increase the ability to the plant to capture nitrogen? I mean, at the end of the day, that is, that is what we're trying to do. And I, I mean, and some, I mean, we haven't, we haven't, we are doing some studies and then sometimes depending on the conditions and when they're asking me, I will say, do the basics first. And then if you are wanting to test these new products, do it but ask to test in your field because mm-hmm. the, the specific soil and environmental conditions, I mean, we have seen situations that are super specific to a field response and we are seeing responses that they are not there yet. And then I, that's why I always say, if you are thinking about a cost and profits, make sure that you do the basics before you jump into, into doing something that seems to be more kind of a high cost intensity. In a perfect world, if you had an easy button, we're not <laughs> worried about cost. We're not worried about af- application method. Um, what would your perfect nitrogen program look like? I mean, and, and it's a super complex question. So, and I always appreciate, I appreciate the question and, and, I, and I appreciate that we are trying to give the perspective, for, I mean, from a farmer perspective, right? Um, in a perfect world, one of the perfect nitrogen program would be the one that is more dynamic. The one that... I will apply some nitrogen early season to make sure that I can cover my basic needs. And maybe it's, it's the less expensive nitrogen in terms of basically the timing of application and also the source. But at the end of the day, if I really want to be, manage nitrogen really well, I need to almost manage, try to manage like a plant by plant. And I need to try to find a way to manage nitrogen by se- sections of the field. I cannot manage nitrogen as an input that I apply to the entire field because I understand that there is variability and I understand that the conditions of the specific soil and weather environment will create different growth. 
So, and then getting, for example, to the V6 stage, as we do, many farmers, they usually tend to do, getting with equipment and not only just to apply nitrogen, but also trying to get a sense, if we can get a map of all the different growth, and then if we can map the situations of the field where pl plants are growing less, plants are growing more, that will help me to prepare for my next application. And then in my next application, if I can enter to V10 or V12, uh, we will be having not really beyond in the future, but I think that we'll be having very soon sensors that they are looking at the canopy and sensors that also can look at the size of the plants. So then can give me an idea of how much nitrogen do I have and do I need? And then also, I mean, I can start looking at playing with that kind of a weather forecast to understand should I apply it or not? Because at the end of the day, we, we have these discussions, I mean, in the last sections of, of the podcast and the weather is still a key factor. Yep. And then my decision, my, my decision of triggering my last application, I mean, to make sure that I put maybe my last 50 pounds of in-season nitrogen, it needs to be really tight and connected to if the weather conditions are going to be good and, and I'm planning to expect to see that one inch of rain, let's go ahead and do it. If not, I should probably just say I'm done, I'm good, and I will save this for next year. So follow-up question, and let's just use, let's use 200 pounds for easy math. Um, let's say our, our total synthetic applied nitrogen is going to be 200 pounds. You, you define three applications, a base, a base uh, an early um, topper side dress, and then an in-season final pass. What would your breakdown be of pounds, either in percentage or, or pounds? I mean, one, one, one potentially formula could be 150 and 50. And then, yeah. or it could be even doing less at planting, you could be 70, a little more at B6, and then 50 at uh, B10, B12. Love it. One more. Sorry. I'm going, <laughs> off, I'm going off script here. We're going all over the place. How much nitrogen do I need from planting until Andrew referenced V8 is kind of the start of the nitrogen curve. So if I, if I do really shift hard towards this mindset of in-season weather-based, you know, um, uh, how much nitrogen do I need to get from, let's say, emergence to that V8? Not much. I mean, because if you think of your uptake, I mean, when you're looking, I mean, 50% is usually 50, 60% is the total nitrogen that you have around flowering connected to the end of the season. And when you are in B8, you are starting that phase line. So you are starting to get into that phase line. You, you might only need like 20% 20, 20 of the total uptake. So okay. if you're thinking about, I mean, my total uptake is 200, I might need only just to get to that point around 20% of that. Okay. So it's, it's really not much to get into that point. Yeah, yeah. it's it's... It's wild to think about. Um, On to we, our, our new favorite question of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So we, <laughs> we, we have, a, um, we have a, a pattern that we finished the show with, and it's, it's, it's been really insightful. Um, today, you've shared with us a lot about um, your research and, and work in nitrogen. Um, but I guess as you think about your career to, um, to this point, what, what's, what's the thing that kind of has you the most excited, the research you've done or your contribution to agriculture? What, um, tell us about that. I think that, I mean, one of the things that at least I get more excited, and I, and I talk a little bit early on, on the show, is about this idea of looking at how we can help um, farmers. We, we really work closely with farmers. How can we 
change the mindset and work very close to with industry. So we work really close to industry because we believe that most of the universities, uh, basic science, best way to reach farmers, I mean, to reach out to them and, and to reach out to million people and, and really help them is by, by having basically also industry approach and that kind of a entire industry moving forward with our basic science coming from universities. And the last point, as I mentioned earlier, is kind of a, this idea of how we can train the new thinkers, people that they, uh, they're going to change that. No? They're going to change everything. They're going to see what we have done in the last 100 yeah. years, and they will say, what what do you guys have done for the last 100 yeah, years? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, and, and we need to train that people. Yeah, I'm curious too. You know, you've done a, a lot of you got a lot of research papers behind you. You've done a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> so from from your graduate work to to now, what's what's probably been the coolest thing you've been a part of? You know, I, I can think of some of my research where I'm like, oh, that's potentially game changing, or it was I honored <laughs> honor to be a part of this. Looking back on your career, what what's one thing that you've just been a part of that you've been like, whoa, this is going to be game changing, or whoa, this this is really cool to be a part of this. I would say many things. I mean, to be honest, I get excited. Maybe I get excited uh, too easily. <laughs> uh, that could be a problem. Um, but I'll say from the moment that I did my PhD, when we, we start working on this late in uptake and, and looking at hybrids that they were taking up more nitrogen post flowering, that was kind of a big thing because we look at that, we put a review paper, and that changed basically most of the mentality for many people and researchers across the world and thinking about applying post -nat post more nitrogen post-flowering. And if you think about some of the things that we're doing today and how we are rethinking nitrogen or looking at ways that the plant can uptake more so the plant can become less dependent and more resilient, uh, and also looking at new technologies, you know? not only that, but also looking at new technologies for sensing nitrogen. I think that when you look at everything that we have done and and, and, and and really what we're doing today, I'm quite excited about, I mean, the years to come. And I think that I think that we're on our way to, to make to make some progress. And I think that that's, that's a critical aspect. We really need to make progress on nitrogen management. And this is one of the critical elements, critical management to really move the science forward and really to move our basically goals on food security. Yeah. It's a great answer. Our show is called A Penny for Your Thoughts. My host is Andrew Penny. Um, we do, at the end of our show, a segment called Cashing in My Penny. Um, this is when I have Andrew give me his key takeaways. Um, Andrew, I'd like to cash in my penny. Yeah, this this will be a good one. I, I think we have some good key takeaways that I think will benefit uh, the audience. Uh, Ignacio, uh, Ignacio, please uh, rate my, uh, if you have anything that you need to add a critique, please, please do so. Um, I, I think the first one, one of my key takeaways, you know, you brought up the fact in, in, in some of the benefits of, of split applying, right? So, you know, if, if we're in a situation where we're a little bit drier and we decide to side dress, you might be in a situation where you're putting nitrogen out there and all you're getting is uh, potentially bigger leaves, bigger plant but not transitioning to yield, right? And so you might be in, in a situation where you might be side dressing and be wasting that nitrogen if we don't get any moisture or have an adequate environment for that nitrogen to actually go in, into yield, right? That that really stood out. You know, it kind of got me thinking about the environmental conditions and what we need to be thinking about when we're making those recommendations. Absolutely. Um, the, the second one, um, you know, you, you kind of addressed the, the whole, uh, is there a 40 pound credit to soybeans <laughs> from soybeans going into corn, right? 
you know, there's been a n- number of universities that have dispelled that that myth, and, and it sounds like your research definitely did that as well. And so, you know, I think we need to re- rethink the how we talk about that. We're, we're not uh-huh. gaining 40 pounds. I, th- I think I like that term, you know, you mentioned cropping systems effect as opposed to nitrogen credit. I think that's, that's a really good way of thinking about, um, you know, tying in that carbon to nitrogen ratio conversation. Um, and, and, and really benefit growers when it comes to, you know, how, how much nitrogen should they put down and why they're putting this much down in, in corn following soybean. It's a cropping system effect, not a, not a nitrogen uh, residual or, or uh, ad- addition. Um, I, I think a- another thing that stood out is, you know, a, a lot of this podcast, we discussed the importance and, and I would say more benefit of split applying nitrogen, mm-hmm. right? You kind of mentioned uh, some numbers that really stood out to me. You know, if, if we could put on you know, obviously we don't have the perfect world. We got, we got to discuss real world applications and, you know, but I I think you mentioned if we could apply 50% or less at planting and then maybe think about trying to get some on in another form, depending on what that may be sometime in the growing season when we're at that, when we're at that V8 or later, you know, when that uptake curve is actually in, in process as that plant's growing and, and developing, I think that would be beneficial to growers for not only the ROI, but also looking at increasing our nitrogen use efficiency. And we're going to have four this time because you, you said something that I've, I've never heard. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. You mentioned protein maps and, and yeah. yield monitors. I, <laughs> yeah. I had never heard of that. And, and you know, thinking about mm. nitrogen uptake and, and use in soybeans because of their protein content, man, that's massive. If we, yeah. could, if we could look at this and use this in corn, that's also going to be hugely beneficial, right? If we could start looking at protein maps. So my advice to any growers, I mean, man, be, be asking your, your dealers about that technology because that sounds, man, if, if we're trying to, to really hone in our nitrogen program, and I, I would imagine if we could do a protein map for nitrogen, we could start applying this to all macros and micros, right? Because we know, I mean, it's pretty constant. You're going to have some fluctuations based on environmental conditions, but we're pretty constant. If we're removing a pound of grain, Right, that that's pretty similar year in year out, right? Yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to to what seeing what we can do with the, with these protein maps. Uh, yeah. Dr. Ignacio, thank you so much. Um, what a uh, this has just been an absolutely tremendous episode. Um, thank you for joining us. Tell our listeners um, how to follow you. Uh, what's what's the best way to follow your research? There are multiple ways. I mean, we have a um, um, website that is um, CMPT Lab. So if you just type CMPT Lab KSU, you will be able to find most of our research. We have a, a Twitter account also with the same lab, and we have an Instagram and another platform and social media. So if you want to find also the profile, I will be in the Department of Agronomy at Kansas State University, KSU, and then you will find my profile there in the department, and you will find the website. So we try to, to share as much as possible real-time all the information that we produce every day in the field and really highlight, I mean, all our students and the work that we do with industry, stakeholders, and farmers across the entire world. Um, I love I'm, that. I, I checked, sorry, sorry to, to butt no, in, I, I checked out the, the website before this, this interview, and you have a, a fabulous website that, that really goes into de- so detail much. about your, your grad students, your lab, and the research you're doing. So we'll definitely link that to the, to the show as we, yes. as we release episodes. Yes, we always want to showcase our students that they are the ones, the stars here. Well, we... Greatly appreciate it. And I'm always, um, the, these shows are always pretty humbling because, you know, we sit out here and we get to sell inputs and <clears throat> talk about science that we haven't been responsible for creating or, or, or fostering and commercializing. And so just greatly appreciate the work you and everybody at, at uh, K-State is doing. Um, Andrew, as we wrap up, give our listeners a teaser about our next guest. 
Yeah, so I've I've mentioned uh, mentioned him numerous times on these podcasts. Uh, my my favorite professor of all time. Uh, he's a, he's a crop physiologist and one of the leaders in the industry. He wrote the book on dry matter accumulation in corn and soy. So we're gonna we're gonna pick his brain on you know and discuss the impact of heat and drought on dry matter accumulation yield, all the stuff that matters when it comes to corn and soy production. I look forward to it. Um, Andrew, as always, you're an excellent co-host. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, your key takeaways. And um, Dr. Ignacio, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.